Welcome to the Left Hand Church Podcast. My name's Paula Stone-Williams, and I'm one of the co-pastors here. We're so glad that you're with us. We love having you join us here at Left Hand. We would love it if you would join us in a financial way as well. You can text any amount to 84321, and we'll receive it. You also can go to our website, lefthandchurch.org, and you can find out there how you can donate. Every time we begin a service, we begin with these words. Married, divorced, and single here. It's one family that mingles here. Conservative and liberal here. We've all got to give a little here. Big and small here. There's room for us all here. Doubt and belief here. We all can receive here. LGBTQ and straight here. There is no hate here. Woman, non-binary, and man here. Everyone can here. Whatever your race here, for all of us, grace here. In imitation of the ridiculous love Almighty God has for each of us and all of us, let us live and love without labels. So I grew up in Akron, Ohio. That's where Maple Valley was. Akron at the time, and still today, was known as the rubber capital of the world. If the wind blew in from the east, the whole town smelled like burning rubber. When I was 15 years old, my family moved to rural eastern Kentucky, and I loved it there. There were only a few dozen kids in my class. The very first day I went to school, I went into English class, and I learned something new that day. Did you know that a live chicken inside a brown paper bag will not move or make a noise? unless you smack it up the side of the head inside the paper bag, at which point it will squawk exactly once, then go silent again. I learned it my first day of school when one of the kids next to me smacked the chicken, it squawked once, and Mr. Wilson, the English teacher, not missing a beat, said, all right, who's got the chicken? And I knew I was not in Ohio anymore. But I loved it there in Kentucky. I loved a small town. I was never going to move back to a city. But then when I was in college, I had these friends who were prone to taking risks. And they decided to take this trip to New York. And I never would have gone, except I had met this girl from New York. And so after spending a week in New York, I definitely was not crazy about the place. Oh, definitely not. On the other hand, I definitely was crazy about the girl. I ended up marrying her. She's the one who ate all those moon pies. But still, I had no intention of ever going back to live or work in New York. In fact, when I left that time after the first trip, I said loudly in the car, oh, dear God, don't ever make me come back to this place again. And then for the next 35 years, I lived in New York. Stranger things have happened to those who did not want to go to the city. Just ask Jonah. And we don't know if the people we're going to talk about tonight wanted to go to the city or not. But the fact is, they ended up in the city. The city was Antioch. After Rome and Alexandria, it was the third most important city in the Roman Empire. It was located about 15 miles from the Mediterranean Sea, and it was known for three seas, commerce, carousing, and corruption. In fact, it was such a corrupt city that at least one major historian said that a reason for the downfall of the Roman Empire was the decadence and corruption that existed within the city of Antioch. But it's interesting because another careful historian, Luke was his name, writing the book of Acts, tells us a lot about the city of Antioch, but never once did he talk about what was wrong with Antioch. 
Instead, he just talked about the possibilities of Antioch because indeed, Antioch was the city in which Christianity became the religion of an entire civilization. How did that happen? Yeah, that's what I want us to talk about today. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the 11th chapter of the book of Acts. 11th chapter of the book of Acts, beginning with verse 19. And let's see what we can learn from what happened in Antioch. Now, those who'd been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, telling the message only to Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. The news of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Now, who were these nameless people from Cyprus and Cyrene? We, we don't know, but you can be quite sure that God knows. Because they were the first people, the first explorers of that Gentile world. And what a word of what they had done, taken the gospel to the non-Jewish population in Antioch, word of that got back to the old first church in Jerusalem. What was the response of the people there? I can imagine what their response was. I can just hear a couple of them talking. Hey, you hear what's going on over in Antioch? No, what's going on? Well, word has it from a reliable source that they're taking the gospel to Gentiles. They're Gentiles. I didn't hear anything about that at the North Judean Christian Convention. What do you think we should do? I think we should cut off their financial support. Is that what the church in Jerusalem did? Well, I know human nature well enough to know that's probably what some people in the church in Jerusalem wanted to do, but thank goodness, they weren't the decision makers. The decision makers decided to sacrificially send one of their best, most promising young men, Barnabas, to go help start that new church in the city of Antioch. They understood what Jesus had been talking about back in the 22nd chapter of Matthew, the passage we talk about all the time. When in answer to the last public question he was ever asked, he said, religion is three things, loving God, loving neighbor, and loving self, and made it very clear that your neighbor is every human being with whom you come in contact. So they understood that meant the good news, that God loves everyone, was good news for the Gentile population as much as it was good news for the Jewish population. And they were willing to send Barnabas to go get the job done. You know, I knew from the time I was three or four years of age that I was transgender. And I think in my white male entitlement, I got the idea that I could choose. You know, we little white boys got pretty much anything we wanted, so why not choosing my gender? Thought a gender fairy would come and say, okay, what's it going to be? But alas, no gender fairy arrived, so I just lived my life. Didn't hate being a boy, just knew I wasn't one. Went to college, got married, had kids, built a career... But the call toward authenticity, as I say often, has all the subtlety of a smoke alarm, and eventually decisions have to be made. And so six years ago, I transitioned genders, and suddenly, for the first time in my life, found myself a very significant part of a minority, 0.58% of the population, not always treated all that well. My middle daughter, who we adopted from Calcutta, India, after I'd been 
Paula for about a year said so. How does it feel to not be a part of those who have control over everything? I said, yeah, not so good. Because the truth of the matter is, for whatever reason, a lot of Americans do not like the transgender population. Right now, there are 27 states in the United States where there's legislation pending to take away our civil rights. 76 different bills have been introduced in legislatures in 27 states. Why on earth do they hate us so much? What is it about the transgender population? Well, you've heard me say before that the three desert religions have always been at their basic beliefs, at their beginnings, religions of scarcity. The Abrahamic religions, Christianity, Islam, Judaism, all developed in the desert, and there weren't a lot of resources to go around, so well, we've got to take care of, of our own. But as they've grown and developed, all three of those religions, in their more liberal forms, have become very generous expressions, but not in their fundamentalist forms. Their fundamentalist forms continue to be very, very narrow-minded and very negative toward a lot of people groups. And right now, when it comes to evangelical Christians in America, well, apparently, transgender people are the enemy. We've got a lot of polarization in our nation, not just on the issue of whether you're transgender or not, but on all kinds of issues. And I hate to be the one to say this, but the truth is the outcome of this election is not going to change just how polarized we are. We're going to be just as polarized afterwards as we are now. We are split in two as a nation. And a couple of things I'm quite sure of. Debating one another and yelling at each other across social media is not ever going to change that. So how do we change the narrative? Well, I decided the way to change the narrative when it comes to transgender people was kind of basic. I mean, when you think about it, we humans will take in new information, but only when it comes to us in a non-threatening way. So how could we make being transgender non-threatening to that sizable fundamentalist Christian population? I think there's only two ways to do it. Proximity and narrative to get close to one another on the same front porch in the same dining room, and then to tell stories. When you think about it, we're a narrative-based species. We don't sleep without dreaming, and we do not dream in mathematical equations. Well, actually, the last time I said this, one of our church members told me that he does, in fact, dream in mathematical equations. I'm not going to tell you who it is. You'll have to figure that out on your own. Most of us dream in stories. And when you think about it, it's well-told stories that change civilizations. I mean, just think of John Hersey's book, Hiroshima, or The Diary of a Young Girl by Anne Frank, or Bury My Heart at Wounded Knee. All of these well-told stories that changed entire people groups and how they viewed other people groups. So I decided it would be a good thing for me to share my story in close proximity to others. I do a lot of speaking at universities in the United States and Canada, and I get well compensated for that, so I thought, why don't I go to Christian universities at my own expense and do the same thing? Tell my own story. They'll discover that I'm relatively normal human, as normal as they are, 
So one school in Tennessee took me up on the offer. It's a Christian university where I used to teach as an adjunct faculty member in their doctoral program. Psychology department had me in. I taught a lot of classes. It went wonderfully. The provost was in every single class, which is unusual, but didn't find that I was saying anything to put him off. And I even met with 75 of their Master of Arts in Counseling students who had never met a transgender person. It was a wonderful visit. I even had students come out to me, students who actually had been through conversion therapy. It was good to be able to hear their stories. They invited me back the next year, but what I did not know was that even while I was there, the wife of the former president and one of my former co-workers, a man, had joined together to get all the alumni up in arms over the fact that I was on campus. And so they withdrew my invitation to attend again. Turns out I can't be the one to share my story. Here's the thing. You can. You can be the one to share my story on my behalf. You can be the one. Allies. Accomplices who will work at our direction. Assistants who will work at our sides. You are the ones who can go into any environment and tell people the story that we're all the same, loved by God. Back to our text. That is why the church in Jerusalem sent Barnabas to Antioch, because he was a great ally and a marvelous accomplice. What was it that made him such a good ally to bring people groups together? Well, first of all, he was an independent thinker. Earlier, when everybody else rejected the idea that Paul might be an apostle, who stood firmly with Paul? Barnabas. And yet later on, he and Paul had a big disagreement over what to do about Mark. He was his own man. No one was going to tell him what to think. He'd learned how to think. And he understood the gospel of Jesus was for everyone. God loves everyone just as they are. And he was willing to go to Antioch and bring those people together with the Jewish Christians. He wasn't just an independent thinker. He also was a positive thinker. What was his name? His name wasn't Barnabas. His name was Joseph. His nickname was Barnabas. And what did it mean? It meant son of encouragement. Now there's a real nickname for you. So my son was a positive thinker. Always has been. He played Little League Baseball forever. And his next to the last season, his team was 2-14. and 14. That's right. They lost 14 games that season. Lost the last game of the season 34-5. to five. Did you ever go to one of those games? Just praying for a thunderstorm, anything, so you can just go home. Kids are turning back in their uniforms when they're done, and David Fisher's got a tear running down his cheek. Jonathan goes over to him, taps him on the shoulder, and says, Hey, man, don't worry about it, Dave. We're going to win them all next year. I looked at the father standing next to me, and I said, That's my boy. Yeah. Maybe he just batted 111, but hey, he's a positive thinker. The next year, Jonathan batted 354. I mean, 354. And the team was 1 and 15. But hey, he's a positive thinker. And now he started a church, just like ours in Brooklyn, New York, a church that now has about 500 people, a church that serves as allies and 
advocates, as assistants and accomplices to others. A church making a huge difference. He's a positive thinker. Barnabas was a positive thinker. He also was a risk taker. It's always been intriguing to me that we routinely expect our children to take major risks. I was talking to Jaina, my youngest, a couple of weeks ago, and she'll be 40 in, in December. I had her, yeah, we had her when we were 12 and 15. Yeah, we're, we're going to go with that. But she said, do you remember when you took me to school in kindergarten? I said, oh, yeah, like for the first two months, I had to actually walk you to the door, push you through the door, hold the door shut so she, you wouldn't run back out again. She said, I was terrified. I said, I know, but we made you go because it was good for you. We routinely expect our children to take major risks, but then the older we become, the more capable we are of taking risks that are likely to pay off, the less inclined most of us are to take any risks at all. Kind of interesting. We say, well, it's not time to take risks now. I mean, you know, I, I, I don't want to lose that pension. Well, it's true. Your surface self doesn't want to lose your pension. Your soul is far more interested in the ride. Taking risks, stepping out where others dare not go to build bridges from one people group to another. He was a risk taker. He also understood failure. We don't know the specifics of it. Paul told us about it later on in Galatians. It is pretty significant failure. But he also knew what we all should learn, that failure is not the all that ends all. It's those ending lines of Rilke's The Man Watching. Winning does not tempt that man. This is how he grows, by being defeated decisively by constantly greater beings. So he was a right kind of guy to send to get the job done. An independent thinker, a positive thinker, a risk taker, who focused beyond failure. And because of that one man, and his willingness to go to the decadent city of Antioch. We're here right now. I mean, unless you're from a Jewish background, it wasn't the church in Jerusalem that took Christianity to your ancestors. It was the church in Antioch. And why did it happen? Because one church, one church, knew it was better to build bridges than walls. Church in Jerusalem. And one member of that church Barnabas was willing to leave his comfort zone and go across to the other side, to people not like him, to give them the good news that God loved them just as they were. And here we are today. We can heal this nation's divide. And what it's going to take is the church, just one church, like that church in Jerusalem, willing to give of its best to getting in close proximity to those unlike them, telling our stories and listening to theirs. And then it's going to take just one Barnabas from within that church willing to say, all right, use me to get the job done. Then it's going to take one more church and one more Barnabas and one more church and one more Barnabas. And you know left hand is that church. So here's the question. Will you be that Barnabas? God, we like to be comfortable. Comfort's good. We like to be with people who are like us. We like to be with people who don't challenge us. We like to be in places where others don't pull together large segments of the population to make sure we never go to that place again. 
We don't like to be uncomfortable. But we also know that we're made in your image. And you love every last one of us just as we are. Yep. Including the ones who hate our guts. Give us courage, God, to rest in your love. Give us wisdom to know how to tell our story and how to listen to the stories of others. Give us confidence to know that even if people throw their darts and shoot their arrows, we can survive because love wins. This is our prayer in the name of Christ. Amen. This is John Gaddis. I'm one of the co-pastors here at Left Hand Church. As you listen to this teaching, we hope it was a reminder that the love of God is bigger, more inclusive, and filled with more grace than any of us can imagine. There is truly room for us all here. If you have any questions about Left Hand Church or this teaching, please email me at john at lefthandchurch.org. You can also tune into our live stream services on our church Facebook page every Sunday at 5 p.m. Mountain for great music and original teachings. Thank you for joining us.